Welcome to the Go Big Redcast, the Husker Fan Sports Show with Dave, Honky, Mac, and Boomer. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, Honky, and Mac, uh, we have a great show tonight, man. We had a chance to interview Steve Sipple for the second time. We talked with him earlier in the offseason back in February, and and uh, a lot's happened since uh, then, so that's some of what we covered. But, you know, Mac, another great uh, interview. Yeah, in a, in a year full of disappointments <laughs> and, and uncertainty, for us to still be able to get to talk to guys like Sipple about Husker football, it's, it's a real treat. And, you know, we try to keep it pretty topical throughout the, throughout the whole conversation, so I hope, I hope people enjoy it. But, uh, you know, anytime we can get 30, 40, an hour, two hours of his time, you know, we'll take it. <laughs> I mean, there, there's no end to the, the conversations we could have with that guy. I mean, we line up very similar in our thinking in, in, in the Husker history. So uh, I'm really excited for you guys to hear what we had to talk about. Yeah. And it was something that, you know, when we first started talking with them, we were going to try to keep it to a half hour. And thank you again, Sip. You, you went long for us, and that was awesome. But, you know, Mac, we talked a little defense, and we, we talked, you know, some of the player development that went on. We did start it with talking about some of the COVID things and, and what we think is going to happen with the season. Was there anything that we didn't really get to that you were kind of hoping to and that you wanted to chat about here? Um, you know, one of the things I'm, I'm kind of curious about, we, we hit defense, but we didn't necessarily talk about offensive you know, skill groups like the wide receiver. We didn't talk about J.D. leaving. Yeah. We didn't talk about how we're we're planning on replacing that kind of production. So that would have been something maybe we could have touched on. But, I mean, on the whole, I think you would agree with me. It's it's Defense doesn't get talked about enough. And yeah. I feel like that's an area where a quantum leap is almost possible based on, you know, third year in the system, you know, more prototypical guys at the positions that Chenander wants them. I mean, what are your thoughts about that? Well, I think it's the biggest area of concern that even the, the most Husker optimists have. It always falls back on the defense. Mm. We know what we have offensively coming back. We know we have an entire offensive lineback. We know we have a third-year QB with a QB that could push him, too. I mean, mm-hmm. that, just that depth and that competition, that's a great depth thing. Depth and a consistency of skill sets, too. Skill set, yeah, absolutely. You know, so J.D. has left, but we also know that we have converted that wide receiver room. You know, to give a little bit of a plug, Sip gives a great point about when he talked with uh, Frost last November about the wide receivers. He talks a little bit about how that – you know, there need to be some improvements there. Well, we've seen what's happened in the recruiting. They needed size, and they got size. We have Omar Manning, we have Betts, and we have Hickman, you know, transitioning over. So that room's transitioned itself through recruiting. Mm -hmm. We know what we have on offense. We know from a running back standpoint, we've got a guy like Mills who is Mm -hmm. coming back from day one. We know what we have in that guy, and we can throw behind him the Scots and the Ramir Johnsons and, you know, and Sevian Morrisons and all that. So the offense... It's not that it doesn't warrant discussion, but it doesn't warrant too much discussion right now. (laughs) There's been a lot of discussion about it. You know, when we talk about the defense, I think for me the thing that I really hit on is that D-line. Yeah. And uh, Coach Tuioti was on the radio, you know, a couple weeks ago. He really talked about the the size. Mm -hmm. I mean, the Ty Robinsons, have you seen the videos? Oh, my gosh. Some of the, the Twitter stuff that's happened in the last month. You know, we've only been able to do a couple shows here in the last three, four weeks. But there's been more of the War Daddy Up videos coming out from Duvall. And when you see Ty Robinson, when you see the polar bear, I mean, my God, these dudes are huge. Yeah, it's 100% true. And, you know, to take it back to what we were talking to Sip about, with the Scott Frost team, 
the offense is always going to be your front runner conversation, right? He's known as this offensive guru guy, sure. and and I feel like he has done a lot to kind of put the put the right pieces into place to be successful. You know, that being said, you got Chenander coming in here, kind of an unknown product. He's coming from a Group of Five team where they mm-hmm. were, you know, they were disruptive on defense. They created a lot of turnovers, but since he's been in the Big Ten, you know, there's been some glaring uh, deficiencies within the team, right? Mm-hmm. But at that same time. This guy has been recruiting to type. And what do I mean by that? I mean, he's getting length. We're talking 6'4", 6'5", 6'6". And we're talking size. We're talking 270, 280, 320. Across the board on the defensive line. Then you move back into the inside linebacker. That's getting tall. You move to the outside linebacker. The outside, especially. That's getting longer. Now, even... Even the early classes, you know, where they might not be prototypical, the new guys, like Blaze Gunderson, what is he, 6'4", 6'5"? 6'6", 250. So there's a guy, you know, that, that's fitting that model. Move back another layer in the defense. You've got Travis Fisher, who's been a wonder down south and getting these explosive athletes to come here and play corner. Long guys, physical guys, guys that like seem custom-built to do what needs to be done in the Big Ten in, in terms of an effective secondary. So maybe not exactly um, posh or sexy to talk about defense, but it's important because if we're going to make a leap next year, short of, a, of a, an efficient place kicker, uh, def- <laughs> defense and being able to do something with that is going to be where we make a huge jump. I'm in the camp that if Adrian Martinez has a really big year, I'm not surprised. I guess that's where I land yeah. on that. If he ends up having a really good bounce back year and he eclipses what he did as a freshman, mm-hmm. it would not shock me. And the other, the good news about that is if that doesn't happen, then I know we've got some depth behind him. Yep. So to me, the offense is sort of a, I won't say a known quantity, but there are, there are far fewer questions on the offensive side of the ball than there is on defense, right? Yep. And, and if you're looking at what the defense wanted to do last year, in Minnesota, for example, right, what did they say that they could do against us is go sideline to sideline yep. and stretch us out and have our linebackers do a we poor job. We can't set the edge right. and we don't fill. And what does length do for you on the defensive line? It makes those lanes hmm. that much smaller, that much harder to do. You can't stretch out guys when they're six foot six to six foot eight. From hand to hand, you put four of those guys together, that's a big time wall you got to go around. So I'm happy that we got a chance to talk about defense. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, and you know this, Honk, if we could have Sip on for two hours, we would easily <laughs> chew it up. It would be fun. I think the offense is the, the key that you're talking about is that it, nothing would surprise us with the offense this year. If we went out and we were literally number one or number two in the conference, it all came together in year three. We've got big receivers and tight ends to throw to, we have a, an experienced, offensive line that has gone through the war daddy up movement for three years now we've got all five returning starters and even with five returning starters we still might move guys around because we have that much depth and we've got quarterback depth and we've got a guy like mills who can just take the pounding Mm -hmm. and give the pounding it wouldn't shock me at all to see a very successful offense but i think it always falls back you know the people that are the big big 10 supporters the Mm -hmm. the people that are like hey you know this is a different kind of conference to play in to their point that's great if we go out and score 31 points, but if we're giving up 30, yeah. that's the defensive part of this, right? right? And it's also the special teams part. Stop, yep. you know, stop setting yourself up in bad positions. Right. Stop giving teams that you know the the short side of the field. Stop letting them return you know kickoffs for touchdowns, things like that. Mm-hmm. We touch on that here too with some of those linebackers that if they're not playing next year on as a linebacker, they might be the special teams dude. Yeah, this he is, specifically brought up a Green as a, as an example of oh, a, a Keyshawn, fresh a Keyshawn, yeah, yeah Keyshawn Green as an example of a guy that's that's going to be such 
such a player that whether or not he plays inside linebacker, expect that guy to be on your special teams. And what a difference that makes in how good your special teams is. If you're talking about a guy that could be almost an immediate impact two years ago, you know, if if he came in two years ago, this guy Mm -hmm. is probably challenging to play. Now he's at a point where if we can get good special teams play out of him, then that's that's a net win. That's a big difference. That's the Caleb Tanner thing. Two years ago, Caleb Tanner now is a junior, and to some to some fans, and I'll specifically say to Twitter, to some people, they're like, he better get it yeah. going now because it's... it's waste of a scholarship. Waste of a scholarship, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? And it's like, oh my God, if he would have been on last year's team as a freshman, he would have been able to redshirt. That's what exactly. we did with last he year's class. Yeah, he didn't redshirt two years ago, but if you've seen some of the Instagram photos of him, you, he's put in the work, and he's an example of a guy like, I'm so excited to see Caleb Tanner out yep. there now as a year three player, right. and... As fans, it, I know it's hard to show patience. We all feel like we've shown a lot of patience. And yet, it wasn't unusual 20 years ago for a guy to take three years to start seeing the field. Some of our best players on defense. Most of them. And yeah. quite honestly, Jason Peter was yeah. an example of that. Yeah. I mean, that guy didn't play until his third year. Yeah. So and it just takes some time. But in general, I mean, let, Mac, let's get to the, to the interview. But I know you and I just kind of wanted to chat a little bit and kind of Release all the thoughts that were going through yeah. our heads after it, but Sip, you were awesome. Yeah, he tells it. Stay tuned to the end too, because he tells a really cool story about Milt Sinniper at the end. And um, for all the Redcasters out there that are closer to our age, you know, Milt Sinniper was one of the foundation cornerstones of oh, that yeah. of that '90s offense and and the and the pipeline and all that. So again, I really appreciate the time. You know, some of the best parts of doing this podcast. Well, they certainly haven't been covering the wins. You know, that part's that part's 100% true. Um, but but being able to talk to guys like that, you know, we've got another we've got another one, you know, maybe in the mix with a former player, you know, that we we get to talk to and it's just such a thrill anytime we get to sit down with these guys and really just sort of pick their brain about what they know about Husker football. So, I hope y'all enjoy it. Uh, Sip, thanks again, bud. Today we have a smooth conversation with a cool cat from the Lincoln Journal Star. So find a mixologist to pour you something full of chemistry, because it's time to take a hip sip with Stephen Sipple. Well, hi Sip, uh, Mac and I, we want to welcome you back to the Redcast. Yeah, well, it's great to be back with you guys, obviously. I look forward to the conversation. Yeah, well, as you know, we're we are currently living in the uh, longest off season on record, and uh, the last time we talked to you, which was in early February, that feels about like three decades ago. Yeah, we were so young. <laughs> yeah, a lot has changed since then. Uh, we've gone from talking about QB competitions, you know, and coaching changes, to literally whether or not we're even going to have a season. So, I, you know, I hate to do it, but let's start with an article you just wrote over the weekend. Uh, it was about the Big Ten coaches seek the elusive answer, who will make that final call on the season. And the new Big Ten commish, Kevin Warren, as you said so well, he sufficiently covered his backside in the letter that he sent out to the Big Ten ADs. So, in general, I guess, what's your take right now kind of on the next couple of weeks and the next couple of months? Kind of how do you see it maybe playing out? Well, you know, what? it's sort of what everybody talks about, right? I think the dates to sort of remember are well, August 7th which is the beginning of what we call normal camp. You know, Nebraska's been in this, what we call mini camp, with, you know, practicing. Oh, they get on the field, I think, 20 hours a week, somewhere around there, but but no pads, just helmets. And now they'll, on August 7th, they'll go into a normal camp. 
And we'll, <laughs> now we'll see what happens there, especially when the rest of the Nebraska student body comes to campus a little later in August. And that's, you know, that's what everybody's sort of bracing for around the country is when is when kids return to campus and what will happen with the COVID numbers. So I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know quite what to expect. I think that you ride a roller coaster all the time. And I just think that's what the way it's going to be. If you're going to go forward, you have to do it with the mindset that you're going to wrestle with it and not just throw up your hands at every setback because there are going to be setbacks. There's going to be positive spates of positive tests. We're seeing it in major league baseball. We've seen it in college football. It's just going to come down to a, how, how much are you able to endure um, and how much can you endure without compromising the season too greatly? Uh, those are the things that immediately spring to mind. It's such a nuanced and difficult discussion. I mean, yeah. you, you, you talk to people and, and they'll, they'll give you all the answers, but you're not really – you're not really in, you know, behind closed doors making these choices, but there, the implications of, of kids getting sick or or how the season could play out if somebody, God forbid, ever were to die from this, you know, like it's it's huge. So I'm I'm not trying to minimize anything they're saying, no. but but you're right. I think to me it is threshold because I get tired of the reaction every time you hear about somebody having a, a positive COVID test. I mean, I feel like that's something that we know is going to burn through here eventually. So then it becomes. All right, if we're going to cancel games, then maybe we should have some numbers. Like, is it a percentage? Is it is it a you know amount hospitalized? Is it and and that might be difficult to do, but at least you give you something to you know as a as an athletic department or as a conference to point to and say, hey, you know, we haven't hit this yet, so the games can continue, and you won't have to feel these questions of like you know the number of how you know you're going to acceptable losses you would have for a season. You know, it just it's just such a strange thing because I feel like one of the things that clouds this argument is tolerance is like everybody seems to have a little bit different level of concern on this whole process. And then, you know, they, the conversation gets muddled, like, you know, you just want football cause you want to watch football. And that couldn't be further from the truth in a lot of cases, particularly in Lincoln or towns that count on that kind of revenue to, to make a go of things. I mean, yeah. I, I tell you what, these guys are earning their money. You, you talk about, the Big Ten commissioner, you know, this being his first year, oh, buddy. Welcome to the job. Yeah. And we don't hear a lot from the players. I don't – I wish I had a little bit better handle on how, you know, how the student-athletes feel about their safety. I mean, you hear it – you hear it anecdotally. Um, we know what's going on in the Pac-12. But, I, you know, I haven't heard – I don't think I've heard from any or very few Nebraska players. And I think it's – that's obviously the most important thing. It feels like – we all, media fans, commissioners, athletic directors, coaches, everybody's talking. We don't hear much from the people that are most directly involved. So that's I've become more interested in what they have to say than about anybody. Yeah, and it is interesting that you don't really have a sense of what the players are thinking because it is it is them going out there and playing. But you know, as as just a you know a Husker fan. I mean, I guess the players to me, as far as their safety and their ability to, you know, fight something like this off, it, it's pretty low. You know, I think we could play games in some type of bubble and, and keep these guys protected. You know, Frost has made the point several times. You know, like, this is the most controlled environment that they could be in. 
they're tested all the time. They'll know if they're positive within days if they contracted. So it's like, where where are we going to send these guys if we're going to say no college football? Is that really best interest of the guys, or is that just trying to you know like absorb liability? Which I totally understand. But why don't we just be clear about it? Yeah, and Frost has also made the, the statement that you know these guys are going to catch this whether you have football or not. I mean. Eliminating football doesn't eliminate the the spread of this. Hell, we've seen it with with Major League Baseball. Eliminating fans from the uh, the stands didn't eliminate spread of it, right? I mean, it's I am intrigued though, Sip, and maybe obviously you're in a better position than we are. It would be interesting to start getting that feedback from actual players involved because very anecdotally, I, I know somebody that played for another Power Five team. I was talking to him, and he still had contacts with players on the team, and he was like to a person, anyone he talked to. He was like, these guys want to play. They don't, they don't care. They want to play. Yeah, I think that's that's been the way it is. I think we'll get some players uh, if if the Big Ten moves forward with plans this week. I think Nebraska will make some players available to the media, and we'll begin to hear a little bit more. Um, and I, yeah, that's I think that's important. Um, but yeah, it, you're right. It is a very nuanced discussion. I mean, there's a ton of layers, but I, I mean, I just think the one thing about it that makes the most sense to me is the importance of not overreacting mm-hmm. all the time because it it's a moving target. Um, you know, things change. That's why I don't know if I would, your idea of, of maybe setting a percentage of games lost or cases or whatever before before you say it's enough i wouldn't i just don't i just don't think that would be a wise approach i I think it's i think you have to keep it a moving target deal with it daily uh, be willing to deal with it daily and understand it's going to change a lot over the course of of weeks and months yeah, it is kind of it is kind of a moving target in, in some respects where it would be hard to kind of put a percentage on it. But I'm hopeful. But you know, things can change so quick. Yeah. You know, Sip. I know we all want to move on and talk a little football, but just before we do, you've had a great opportunity to have some different conversations with Athletic Director Moose, and I just from what you've been able to glean from those different conversations over the course of the off season as COVID has gone from where it was at the beginning to where it is now i mean you know where do you kind of t- you know feel he's at right now with football proceeding i'd say in april he was much more confident about it the season going off in a fairly normal fashion than he is now which is to be expected he um now he's a little more guarded with his words uh, like i wrote the other day he he, he kind of chuckled when we referred to a couple things but it was a nervous chuckle mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> he um you know, Bill is, uh, I think he's 69 now. He's a 60, you know, he's in his 60s. He's a rancher. And he has a sort of attitude you'd expect from a 69 year old rancher. You know, <laughs> he's, um, he does. I mean, it's, he's old school, but look, I mean, he's, he's worked with student athletes in three different AD jobs and he has boys that play the college game. So he's in tune with what the student athletes uh, are all about. And he's, and he, listen, I mean, he has to be mindful of safety. That's, probably the most thing he has to be most mindful of so i don't want to portray him as this this gun-ho uh rancher mm-hmm. um, i think that's what he is by nature but in his job he does have to understand the need for safety and he and he he does um now think about it though he's got to balance a lot he's also he also hears from people in the community business owners 
there's, I mean, there's a lot of concern in Lincoln right now about the possibility of not having a season and the impact that would have. It's, it would be apocalyptic, in my opinion. Now, some people would say it's not. Um, I think it would be. And, you know, it, as far as revenue goes for the University of Nebraska, um, what I've heard, now Bill hasn't told me this, but what I've heard is $100 million. Mm-hmm. So he has, he has to kind of, well, he doesn't have to kind of, he has to, he, he flat out has to weigh those kind of se- separate conversations, the economic impact with the safety that's applied to COVID-19. Yeah. And, you know, the, the economics of it are interesting because, you know, I think there's this perception from some people out there where it's like, oh, you know, you guys are just playing football to so the fat cats can, you know, stuff their wallets and everything with, with cash. Uh-huh. But the reality is that's not necessarily how athletics work. I mean, we've seen it at Stanford where, you know, 11 sports get cut. And we've seen George Washington the other day. They don't even have football, but George Washington University just cut three sports the other day. You have that economic impact. You have the impact, obviously, on the cities, the bars, the restaurants, the hotels that have already been getting hit Mm -hmm. just from COVID, just period. I mean, we all want to see football. We all want to be safe. But, um, man, I I will say I'm I'm glad I'm not in the position that has to make that decision. But that's a tough one. Right. I think the important thing is is those conversations – People like to kind of make them separate. You know, it's it's always one or the other, yep. right? And I don't think you can do I think they have to run concurrently. Mm-hmm. I think that and, – and it's really unfair for people to say, yeah, you guys just want to have fun on your Saturdays. Mm-hmm. You're being selfish. No, I mean, I'd say in some ways when that accusation is made, there's selfishness on the other end because – yeah, I mean, I'm, I know you guys um, are mindful of the student-athlete and the risk and, and the community risk. But also, what is wrong with being mindful of people losing careers, mm-hmm. uh, people losing businesses or multiple businesses? I, I happen to have a friend who's lost four of his five. His, his one's holding on. Mm-hmm. Um, what exactly is wrong with being mindful of those people. Nobody's that, been able to tell me that. That is isn't a, it, oh, that's a it, good point, Sip. Yeah, isn't that, that's humanity. No, it's not death, and you can always play the death card. It's always, mm-hmm. it's always where they go, and it's very convenient. But what's wrong with the quality of life discussion? Yeah. Uh, because I, I think that it's insensitive to ignore that part of it or to cast off that part of it is mm-hmm. is extremely unimportant compared to the other one. I think there's a high degree of insensitivity to that. Oh, there's selfishness on the other end. I think that's a great that's a great quote right there. And I, and I tell you what, I've had this conversation with my parents and they are they would be in that higher risk category. They're in that age and they've had, you know, certain mm-hmm. issues and I've talked to them about whether there's 90,000 or 60,000 or 30,000 in that stadium, the good news for them is it really doesn't matter because from a personal responsibility standpoint, they understand they shouldn't be there probably anyways. And nobody wants to see spread. Nobody wants to see death. I've had conversations with people where I'm talking about how I can see how football can work. And exactly to your point there, I've had people that have turned around and said, oh, you're you're picking you know football over death. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm trying to... It's easy to do that. Yeah, you're trying easy to, to mitigate the risk. That. That's the card they always play. I think it's patently unfair to play that card. Mm-hmm. I mean, what do you think? I mean, does does anybody really think that people are okay with that? That de- with the death part? I mean, come on. I mean, what what are we getting at there? Mm-hmm. Um, 
I, I usually brush aside those comments and just think about my motorcycle or something. <laughs> well, well, Sip, when we started this uh, podcast two and a half years ago, I know we we thought we'd be talking about you know people going to games and dying. I'm sure that was that was our initial thought. Um, but but let's actually get to what we thought we'd be talking about, and that is football, right? And if all can go well, there's going to be a football season. We hope there is. And I think before we get maybe into the players, I want to talk about something about player development. And you had a great tweet the other night. We retweeted you on it. And it was about uh, Coach Tuioti had made some reference. I think it was on the Husker Sports Radio where he was talking about just the linemen being bigger. And it's Ty Robinson, Jordan Riley. Guys are 6'6 and 330 pounds. They look like you know Big Ten linemen. The last time we talked with you, you said the Big Ten's a bitch of a conference. And it is. You need big dudes. And what we retweeted was you referenced how you took that quote that Coach Tuioti did and you brought it back to Frost postgame presser against Iowa. 2018, where he specifically, after that game, I mean, it took him three seconds to say, I never want to see a team so much bigger, faster, stronger. So this is a very open-ended question, but when it comes to actually player development, what are you seeing right now with team, the size, the the development that Zach Duvall and the War Daddy Up movement is doing? Where are we at right now going into year three? Well, there's no question that that Scott uh, has put an emphasis on bigger players, longer players, length. I mean, Eric Chenander talked about that in the spring, right before spring practice was shut down. He, he explained it well, why length is important and size. And a lot of it is if you get outside your gap and you're 6'2", it's harder to make up for that getting outside of it. When it whereas if you're 6'6", it's easier. You have a little more wiggle room. It's... It also, like a point guard in basketball going down the court uh, and seeing a defense in a zone with a bunch of guys who were, you know, 6'6", 6'7", 6'9", 6'10", the court looks really small. You don't have, you don't have passing lanes. It's, it's harder to get things done offensively. It's the same principle that Chenander says the same principle in, in football. You know, I mean, it's just lanes close up quicker. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, passing lanes close up quicker. Guys can make up ground uh, more easily. And l- all you got to do is look at the last couple recruiting classes and look at the size. Look at the size of the. They're not. They're not recruiting small. They're not recruiting six four offensive linemen. In fact, if you look at this class right now that they have, I don't know. Are there thirteen or fourteen guys? I think if you look at it, there's only one player who's under six. Who's under six four? Um, now check check that. But if you look at it, you, it's it's eye popping, and it's not by accident. They're trying to change the roster. And Scott, the quote you referred to after the 2018 Iowa game, it was mainly about size. That he was just he he said, "When did it happen? How did it happen? Why did it happen that Iowa is so much bigger and stronger than us? I mean, how did that? Remember, Scott came from an era where they would push around most teams, and now." He looked at their sideline, looked or looked at their guys in warmups, then looked at his. And I'm surprised the conversation wasn't more intense that way in the last four or five years. I started noticing it during the Solich years. Mm-hmm. That Nebraska just wasn't. They're small. They were kind of smallish up front. That linemen were smallish, and just kind of across the board, it was that way. Teams would come in, and I'd watch warmups and go, "Man." Better-looking athletes at Kansas State. Never really thought I'd say that. Mm, yeah. 
You know, the last time we talked with you, Sip, you had mentioned how last year you had other coaches calling you at the beginning of the season, specifically with the wide receiving core, like calling you and asking you, like, why are these guys so small? You know, and obviously through recruiting and through the the Omar Mannings and the bets and moving, you know, Hickman over, it's amazing in such a short period of time how they've they've oh, transitioned yeah. that room to something that looks completely different. Well, yeah, look at the tight ends and receivers now. It's 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 much different quickly. Scott, but Scott knew it had to be. It was uh, it was during the bye week in November. I I got an interview with him in his office, Frost, and he showed me some. He wouldn't mind me saying this. He showed me some video of a few of the receivers and they just weren't getting it done it was stuff that we wouldn't even notice mm. not getting to land you know we, we wouldn't notice it just watching a game probably unless you're really a, unless you're tony romo it was, it was guys <laughs> guys not getting to landmarks guys just flat not blocking just whiffing or not really putting much effort um but it was also it also was definitely a size size conversation too mm-hmm. um let's look i'm mean, all i would tell people is just look around i always noticed it if you look around at power five teams they're trotting out six two six three six five pretty regularly and some teams it's all it's almost exclusively that mm-hmm. um i mean look at look at it or even not even a power five look at memphis's receiving core compared to nebraska's it looks like a pittsburgh it looks like lynn swan and <laughs> stalwart compared to nebraska so I, uh, they had to get better there. And I, and I mean, they really emphasized getting Manning, Xavier Betts, getting his great issues, uh, squared away was gigantic. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I think the Hickman move now we'll just, I mean, that with Hickman, it's just going to be a matter of, I guess, speed because he's tenacious. They, I'll tell you one thing they won't have to worry about with Hickman is blocking on the perimeter. My God, he will drive guys into the second row. He will. Mm-hmm. Um, I love it. I love what they've done at that position. Yeah, I mean, Hickman, you guys have him as the the number 13 guy on your list of most intriguing players. And to your point, I'm looking at the 2021 class right now, and just on the O-line period, you know, with Branson Yeager and Lutowski and Prochaska, you're looking at guys that are 6'8", 6'6", and 6'9". I mean, there is – and that's added on top of the guys that have already been, you know, coming to the program, the Ben Hart's and the Corcoran's. I mean, they are adding – Look at their size. Yeah, look at those guys' size. And, you know, I actually had a conversation again with a friend of mine who is not a Husker fan and, and he has contacts within another program. But he was like, is it really that important to get that much size, like, especially on the line? I mean, like, are you telling me you wouldn't take a 6'1 guy that can plow someone over? And I go, that's to me, that's not really the point. The coaching staff has a prototype, a prototype that yeah. they're going for. I mean, obviously, look at the coach. Austin isn't the 6'8 guy, right? Not right. Like, I would take a, a healthy Greg Austin every year, right? You know, Aaron Taylor was an outstanding lineman. I'd take the guy every time. Well, Cam Jurgens is only six two. I mean, Cam Jurgens yeah. is probably the glaring example on the line right now of a guy that, if he's good enough, explosive enough, and can do what they do, you know, maybe you can overcome that height thing. But why not have depth with height behind? Yeah, it? why not? Well, why not have a, a prototype that you're recruiting to, and then recruit to it? Yeah. That's and that's what they're doing. Exactly, exactly. So I mean, yeah, there's always outliers. There's, there's no. I mean, yeah, you're not gonna turn your back on a certain type of measurement if that kid can play although i've heard stories there's amazing stories out there of guys that didn't fit a prototype and got turned away i mean i i heard a story the other day about 
Christian McCaffrey. Mm-hmm. There was a school on the West Coast where they popped in his tape, and the coach said, "No, I'm not. No, we're not looking at that." Um, oh, and, yeah, it's, it's an incredible story. But they, it happens. Guys miss. They miss. Oh yeah. Coaches miss on players a lot, and they admit it. I mean, I had Mike Eckler told me once. Mike Eckler is a really good recruiter. Is a really good recruiter. Mm-hmm. A former Nebraska, what he coached linebackers. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're doing really well if you're fifty percent. Yeah, you know, I really can see that. well. So you're missing fifty percent of the time. Well, you know, half of that I think too, though. Sip is like they have to go in on these guys so early in high school now, build that relationship. And, yeah. you know, by the time they get to a senior year, they might not be the player they thought. And then another guy who came up and grew his, you know, six inches between his sophomore, or like junior to senior year, like you don't have any relationship with that. It just seems like to me the whole recruiting calendar has been moved up so, so much fast. that there's got to oh, be some guys slipping in the cracks, particularly this year, you know, with these guys not being able to go to camps. You know, like I, I, I've heard people talk about this being the year of the transfer, you know, in a couple years, the results of this COVID. Yeah. I guarantee it. There's no way it won't be because the fluidity of college rosters anymore, but also just not being able to go and see where you fit. Mm. But, yeah, man, it the, the calendar is so early now that if you're yeah. not right on your quarterback by the time he's a sophomore – no. You know, you might not get a, a quarterback no, there. It. It's amazing. I, I, I've heard those coaches in recent years talk about it. Like Danny Langsdorf kind of would roll his eyes and say, I'm going to look at an eighth grade. I mean, <laughs> I mean, they're not. I mean, they're not wild about it, but it's – I'm sure some of them are fine. But the, a lot of guys are just like you'd expect, right? I mean, they're mm-hmm. like us. They can be cynical. And, yeah, I mean, they gotta. They just got to do it because it's that's that's the way it's evolved. You'd mentioned Hickman. Hickman's number 13 on your guys' list of most intriguing players. I think that's a great spot for him because he is one of those really interesting guys. Let's move to defense. And when we're talking defense, the D-line, you mentioned it earlier. You specifically said size. You specifically said length. And we to reference what Tuioti said a little bit earlier, I mean, dude, we've got some serious size. From from Jordan Riley, who I didn't even think of when we first recruited him, he wasn't a, a one of the big stars of the class. But, man, he's really falling into a – a certain body type and a role that I think he can play and, and Ty Robinson. And then you add that with the Stillies and DeAndre Thomas's and Daniels coming back. I mean, that D line is really taking shape and we've got some serious big 10 size in there. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, Jordan Riley, for, for people that are wondering what we're talking about, he's going, now they're, they're saying he's six, six, three, 20. Oh my Jeez. gosh. Yeah. Ty Robinson's six, five, you know, three, 15. Oh, the videos of him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we haven't seen a lot of that around here lately. Um, and it's not, like, I know what people would say. Look, Grant Wistrom wasn't that big. Mm-hmm. Jason Peter wasn't that big. But uh, but it's different. I mean, the Big Ten is a different type of league. Um, Scott's mindful of that. I think it took him a little bit by, by surprise. Um, but some of it's just Big Ten related, the way the Big Ten plays. If you look at the Big Ten, look at the offensive lines, they're they're incredibly I mean they're incredibly big in some cases and the guys usually you know or they the guys usually look like they're thirty it's like they have <laughs> three little kids at the fence you know and they, they yeah, know half every, of them have receding hairlines yeah, you know? yeah exactly they, have, they know every trick in the book too so <laughs> you got but they're yeah they're they're huge um as as far as that defensive line goes now you know those guys sizes. Uh, you know, I've made my point about how I think it's important, but you got to be able to play football. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, we'll see on that. Um, yeah, I do like the way they look. I, another name I would add, by the way, 
that gets forgotten a, a lot is Mosiah Newsom. Mm, that's but, a good but one. Frost, in one of our conversations recently, brought him up, made a point to bring him up. And I did notice the other day that Tuioti said that the offensive coaches said he was a bear to block. Yeah, I saw that too. And, yeah. yeah, and on the scout team. I would Mosiah Newsom for some reason has flown under the radar, but I, I would definitely keep an eye on him. Um, but yeah, they got they have depth. I mean they're gonna go two and three deep at all three of those positions across the front. And I think that's important. What you wanna see though is a star emerge. Mm-hmm. Right. I totally agree. Nebraska's got to get back to producing all Big Ten players. It would be really a pleasant development, I think, for Nebraska fans if it started up front on both sides. That would, I think that's the critical part where it has to start. Well, you know, Sip, you've been around long enough to remember when you didn't necessarily write off a player until he was a, you know, a redshirt junior. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. And, and, and we're looking at, you know, because we're talking about players and maybe developing a – we just move a little bit outside the ball to that outside linebacker position. Do you see a chance, you know, Caleb Tanner – Coming in, he's a four-star guy. Now he's got this. He's going into his junior year. Is it so unreasonable to think this this guy could make a jump now with being with the program this long? With did, the, he didn't benefit from the redshirt year like so many no, other guys. No, he didn't did. get a redshirt year. But I mean, like th- there used to be a time where there you could still have some hope in a junior. You know, and now it's yeah, like yeah. He's, you're, you're a washer. How old are you, How old are you guys? Mid forties. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you do. You guys do remember that, and I don't know why. I mean, I guess there's there's a variety of reasons that changed, I guess. But I don't think it's changed for the better. I think no. it's really unfortunate that it's that way. Guys, and you know it, you can go through them. You can probably give good examples of guys who just develop at different rates. Um, it's, it's, it's amazing that way sometimes mm-hmm. um, that guys, they just do. I mean, it's just they're humans. They, de- they grow at different rates. Their minds develop at different rates. It's uh, a lot of factors can contribute to it, but no, I absolutely think Caleb Tanner could be an example of a guy that breaks out as a junior, and that would just be fine, right? You have, mm-hmm. You'd have two years of what you hope is quality play. I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say for sure, especially not seeing anything in the spring, what his development's been like. But, I mean, I know that I've watched him play enough to know that he gets sideline to sideline super fast. He chases guys down. The question with Caleb Tanner is very simple to me. It goes back to what we've said about size and length. Mm-hmm. It's hard. You know, he's only 6'2". Yeah. Um, he's point. not. He doesn't have the length that they've recruited lately at that position, like Nico Cooper at 6'5". Well, he was 6'3 when we recruited him, and then we remeasured him, and he's 6'2". Yeah. yeah well, that I've happens him, a lot. Yeah, he's, he's more 6'2". Yeah. He's an angular 6'2", but what happens with him, I've noticed – and you've probably noticed it too, is it's hard for him sometimes to get around those yep. big long tackles. Yep. Um, those big bamas that we're talking about. Um, he gets caught up in the wash a little bit. And I don't know. I don't know exactly. I mean, I'm not a Chuck Noll, but he's got to kind of figure out how to maneuver around those guys. Uh, but yeah, I, I would never give up on a junior. I, yeah. I, you see, you saw, I know exactly what you're talking about. It used to be, we didn't even, Nebraska didn't even count on guys till they were soft. Right. And give them some years to build up that strength and earn their stripes and get beat yeah. down on the scout team. I mean, that's yeah. kind of how you – That's. I mean, Jason Peter, 
is an All-American. He wasn't he wasn't a contributor his first two years. You know, nobody right. really talks about that. But yep. you know, on the other side of Caleb Tanner, then you've got you, Jojo Doman, who I love, and I think he's he's a playmaker too. But you know, when you talk about a prototype for a position group. To me, outside linebacker jumps out right away as a position group that we haven't met necessarily what I what I think I know their prototype to be. Now I think we've recruited to that, but those guys aren't going to be ready next year. You know, am I, am I missing something on that? Are you seeing anything there that I could be? No, you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I use Wisconsin as an example of the guys in a three-four. Look at the length they've had there and the type of guys they've had there. It's that's what you're after, mm-hmm. but I mean I'm not saying JoJo can't be an explosive player at that position, mm-hmm. um, or Caleb Tanner, but I you're right. What you're seeing is Nebraska recruiting. I think emphasizing more length at that position. I think it'll look different going forward. Yeah, I think between Cooper and Graham and Gunnarsson, I mean they're definitely getting the guys that yeah. are six four and six five. It takes yeah. a little time to transition to that point, and in the meantime. JoJo can still be a very good outside linebacker. Gifford was in year one. Which is why it's also okay, I think, to sometimes talk about the fact that we're still not to the point where we can be evaluated totally. I understand there's some recruiting misses, but until we have the players and prototype Mm -hmm. players we want in the system to see how it does, then let's just relax on all the judgment, you know. Uh Uh-huh, especially with Chenander. I I, I think that that conversation – I think it needs to be nipped in the bud. I mean, yep. I don't, I can't tell you how often I'm asked, do you think there'll be a lot of heat on Shenander this year? And I, I just, I don't, I know I've always been sort of a coach defender, but I, I totally agree with you guys on that, that give Shenander a chance to get the kind of guys he envisions mm-hmm. across the board. Why? Would you possibly make a move right now because of what you just said, where mm-hmm. a lot of the guys they've recruited, they haven't had a chance to develop. Like Moose says about Frost, Moose isn't – I know this sounds a little soft and all that, but Moose said he's not going to judge him till year five. Well, I hope that applies to Chenander too. Yeah. Sure. Wait to see what he's able to get. Yeah, I mean, well, if we've learned anything from, you know, the Riley years in Banker, it's always a good move after two years to, to get rid of your D coordinator and start over from scratch in year three, right? I mean, it, <laughs> yeah, but, but don't well. bother playing the defense you're going to play in the spring, spring game. Hide right. that three, four. I mean, at, <laughs> look, at the end of the day, I, I'm glad that we're spending this time actually on defense right now because all the talk is about offense, and I almost feel like that would be overkill to even talk about it. Defense is the side that – we know what the offense can do, but the defense is where we're seeing the most changes right now in the personnel groupings. And you guys, to move to the inside linebacker, you guys had two guys, number 12, Luke Reimer, number 7, Nick Heinrich, in your list of, of most intriguing players. And those are two kids, you know, they're, they're redshirt freshmen and sophomores, but inside linebacker, we're changing Nebraska that kids. position group around. It, you know, Nebraska kids, one of them a four-star kid, one of them a walk-on. But Luke Reimer and Heinrich, what can those guys start to do to change that inside group that already has, you know, in addition to Colin Miller, in addition to Will Hannes, we've got some guys. We've got Jucos like Ma coming in too, Ativa, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Ativa Mario got yep. yeah. yeah. Green in there is a, uh, you know, how no, Keyshawn to Green's a guy that watched really close. I mean, Barrett's already said Keyshawn Green is going to see the field. He'll be an anchor on special teams. What's that tell you? He's that's player, that's you know? a big that's, statement. Now, honestly, that's huge because I do feel like inside linebackers not weak. I, th- I think no, that's a, no, there's a building depth there. He- Nick Henrik is a player, I, I think, well, Reimer is – they're both players to watch. Um, Henrik is interesting to me because of the eye test. He is 
Oh, I, I mean, I, I kind of go back to an anecdote. It was when Nick Henrik was warming up before the Wisconsin game when he was going to make his debut. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't seen that much of him, but we were up in the press box and Parker's, Parker Gabriel, my colleague, who's really an astute football guy. He's, he really is. He's, Parker's he's, fantastic. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to tell you something about Parker. He, he knows football at an incredibly high level. He, he really does. Knows. And he said, hey, Simple, you might tell you might want to glance down at uh, warm ups and look at look at Henrik, and I did. And right away, I knew I knew what Parker was talking about because mm-hmm. Parker knows bigger players is what I like. He said, "Look at that! Look at that!" <laughs> arms. I mean, his arms are long, yeah. he's angular. He's uh, he's really rangy, um, and he's a missile. And, you know, he, yeah, he's, he's exactly, got a nose yeah. for the ball, man. He, oh, he, he looks like a Big Ten linebacker. Yeah, he now. does. And yeah, those those are see, but. To your point about Chenander, Nick Hendrick is a redshirt freshman. Right. Give Chenander a chance to develop guys like that. Oh, yeah. All those guys we're talking about, Reimer, Mosai Newsom, uh, Ty Robinson, all these guys are going to be, I think, could become stars in this in this system. And then you go to the defensive backfield with guys like Quentin Newsom and Miles Farmer and Javid Wright and Noah Pola Gates. I mean, I think you have a roster full of potential stars, but mm-hmm. you got to give the coach a chance to develop them. Getting to the defensive backfield, when we talk about recruiting to a prototype, we may have said this before, but I think Travis Fisher on the staff has recruited the most to, you know, like to the model of what he wants his, his defensive backfield to look like. They are all rangy guys. You know, the video they show, they're all headhunters. You know, with the exception of maybe Noel Pola Gates, who's a little shorter, but then you can see he's special on film. So there's something about that guy that he likes, but that, that's a position group that, boy, I tell you what, there's, there's just a bunch, a bunch of potential back there and deep, real deep. Yeah. Yeah. They, uh, there's there's so many of them that you almost forget, like Braxton Clark. You forget he's only a sophomore. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting mix because they they have the veterans and Boodle and Markel Dismuke and Deontay Williams, and then you sort of have that gap where you mix in the young guys. Yeah. I trust Fisher implicitly. Yep. I mean, mm-hmm. he played. He was a six year starter in the NFL at corner. Um, in, in the NFL, if you have a couple bad games at corner, you're out of job. Yeah. And, and he was—it's true. And he and he uh, he stuck as a in that league for six years, mostly as a starter. Um, Fisher knows what Fisher knows what needs to happen out there. I mean, there's mm-hmm. no doubt about it. If you ever been around him, he's sort of a, his mix of kind of no nonsense with that kind of oh, kind of a country humor Tallahassee guy. <laughs> um, it's it's really appealing. Yeah. So Frost is in good shape with that secondary coach. You know, one of the reasons I want us to succeed so badly is it almost to a man on this staff, I enjoy all the coaches. You know, I want them to succeed here. Fisher is one of the top guys, but I mean, it held Verduce. Oh, oh, yeah. You know, yeah. Allen, I love, obviously rude, you know, Dawson. Come, I mean, really, and you know, Beck, Beck, and, yeah, Beck and, at China, and like what he does in the South. I mean, truly, if we can start winning some games and putting together some, you know, some pretty respectable seasons. I, I, the mentality this coaching staff has, it suits me down to the bone. And like you said, we talked about, we come from the nineties era. We know what we want to see out of Nebraska football. And I feel like they're not telling me about Nebraska history. They know Nebraska yeah. history. They're part of it. Well, I mean, I, I can go back to eighties football. I can talk about, you know, we talked about uh, year three of, of Riley and they made the change with Diaco. <laughs> they made a change with Diaco, but, but I think of like McBride in 83. 
And that was a, a bad year. And, you know, it would have been easy for fans in 83 to say, get get rid of that guy. Get rid of that coach. And what does he do? He comes back in 84 and we have a number one defense in the country. Sometimes it takes time guy or it takes guys time. You got to give them that time. Let them develop. Let them get their guys in here and, and sip. I think to me, I think you're a great voice for that because I, I think it's it's not sucking up to the to the staff or it's not. Su- it's trying to give a reasonable voice sometimes to the the Twitter mob that is it's the fire mentality. We have one bad yeah. game and you got to fire everybody. And I just, I've never appreciated that. I've never been no, into that. Sometimes coaches need to be fired. I understand that. Yeah. Um, and I think, but you got to really, I really think if you're going to have the conversation, I think you really have to kind of stop and breathe a little bit yep. and, and analyze it. And I mean, I'm not always right either. I get that. And I, and I, and I'll tell you what, I'm actually was a little surprised that Scott made a couple moves after last year. I, I, I didn't, I, I didn't anticipate it. In fact, I was wrong. I mean, I think mm-hmm. I'd written at least one, at least once that I was pretty sure he wasn't going to make a move. And, you know, he made two of them yep. and, and, and he did make moves. I mean, those were moves. So sometimes it, and, and, and you know, listen, like I said, sometimes it, it makes sense, but often it doesn't. And, Mm-hmm. People ask for it anyway, and man, back in '83, I'll tell you, as you as you guys know, people were calling for Charlie's head. It was mm-hmm. loud, and I get it, I get all that, um, but it worked out for Charlie. Yeah. Well, 1968, they had a petition in Omaha to get rid of Devaney and staff, and I think that kind of worked out well, not doing it too. So, yeah. speaking of McBride, maybe this is a way to transition us out because Sip, you've been awesome. Thank you so much for your time. But uh, McBride, a, another coach that was on his staff was was Milt Teneper. And we've had opportunities, Mac and I, we were so blessed to be able to sit down and have beers with the guy. He was amazing. And the last time that we talked with you, you had mentioned you had a couple good stories of, of Teneper, and, and maybe that's a great way to kind of finish up this chat is, uh, you know, he, he's one of our favorite all-time coaches. And, yeah, and for sure. you tell it, you know, what, yeah, what your experiences were. Yeah, there's a good story were. I tell on the speaking circuit that always gets a lot of laughs about Milt. Um, it was you guys might have to help me with the year. I think it was either it was 2000. I'm pretty sure it was. So they had Jamal Lord and David Horn. Mm-hmm. Um, and you remember the, the running back, David Horn. Oh, so probably Central. like 2002, yeah. 2003 ish. Yeah. Still, it's probably two. It was probably two. And yeah, so he came Frank, out with Mark LaFleur, I think that year out of Central. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I think they had LaFleur too. But anyway, the uh, Frank and like Tom used to, he, those guys would let us, the media corps come over both in the spring and in the in August preseason camp and watch the scrimmages and report on them. Um, but the caveat was we couldn't describe plays in detail. Mm-hmm. So this was I will say 2002. It was 2002, and you know Frank had told the guys, you know, you guys you guys can watch, but no, you remember you can't describe anything in detail. And there was a instance in the, it was a Friday afternoon. There was a Friday morning scrimmage and Jamal Lord rolled to his left and then threw a throwback pass to David Horn that went for a touchdown. It was beautiful. And in the morning paper, I said Jamal Lord rolled to his right threw a throwback pass to David Horn. And it was beautiful. He scored. And in, in the morning, oh, no. um, 
I went to the office and this was never good. And this was (laughs) true of Tom and it was true of Frank. If you had a message from Mary Lynn, the secretary, Mary Lynn was the secretary for both Tom and Frank. (laughs) uh, It was never good. It was, it was always something was wrong. And there was a Mary Lynn called um, and said, Frank would like to talk to you. (laughs) And I was like, what the hell? What could this be? I didn't know. I I had no idea. I, I didn't. I was like, this like what's going on and and whenever uh, frank was upset or a lot of times when frank was upset he would start every sentence with the word well <laughs> and, and um, so she patches me through and right away says well um you did a good job describing that throwback pass oh, no. um in the paper this morning um i don't think you're gonna be back here now oh. yeah it was bad i was fairly reasonably young and not all that long on the beat a couple of four years and and he said you're not he goes you're you won't be covering practices here you know that now mm-hmm. and i was sort of crestfallen you know not totally but I, you know I, oh, we hung up the phone and it wasn't good you know he, it was the coach telling me i couldn't cover the team oh, wow. <laughs> it wasn't the greatest day but anyway during the course of the day i was working on a preseason edition i had to call milk um, for a offensive line story for a preseason edition we, we always do in August and I we're, I was just kind of talking to Milt before we began the interview and I said Milt Frank was really mad at me and uh, Milt goes oh, well, what do you do this time Sip? and, and uh, I said uh, I said I, I described that throwback pass that Jamal threw to David Horn I was like I don't know why Frank was mad um, it's not like it was a trick play and Milk kind of paused and goes, Sibyl, anytime we pass, it's a trick play. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, yeah, that was the story. Uh, and I thought it was super funny at the time. Oh, Milk could be really witty. Um, and I thought that was a good example. Oh, that's, that's awesome. You know, Mac and I had a chance a couple months ago to chat with, with Mike Babcock. And we were yeah. talking Husker history, and he had a similar story. It was from 78, his first year, where he had described some stuff before the Alabama yeah, game. Yeah, that's right. And then we lose it, and, and Osborne was on him a bit, and then he got called up to, I think it was Lance Van Zandt's office. And, and Lance Van Zandt, I think, was probably very similar to Tenefer in a sense, where he's like gruff guy, but he also could put the arm around him and go, hey, you know, do what you think is right, and if you do that, you'll be okay. And, I mean, Mike thought he was going to, you know – Get his butt kicked out of there, I think. But you know, everyone, it all worked no, out. Those guys are always reasonable. They usually, I mean, coaches by nature are sort of rough. Yeah, yeah. Dude, but uh, they've always, as long as I've been, as long as I've been around, very reasonable guys up there. That's awesome. Well, Sip, I mean, again, seriously, it's this is it's always great to talk with you. Hopefully, we can get a chance to do it again here, but. uh Mac, I just hope we have a season. I hope we have some yep. some more football to talk. I'm about. confident. I'm going forward as. We're having a season. Just, that's just where my heart yeah, has to be. Yeah, you guys are great. I, and I appreciate the enthusiasm. And, and I also appreciate how knowledgeable you are. Um, so it's fun. I'll do it anytime. Thanks, man. Within reason. Within reason. You have to start paying me if we do it too much. <laughs> well, I, I mean, the, if uh, you're interested, if, if, if wings and beers payment, then we got you. <laughs> no, I'm paying. Stop it. Uh, I'm totally joking. Yeah, we'll do it. We'll definitely do it again. Okay. All right. Uh, thanks again. Thanks, Sip. All right, guys. Take care. Hey, have a good night, okay? Yes, you too. Yep. Bye-bye. Well, that's it, my babies. Looks like our glasses run dry. I hope that hip sip with Stephen Zippel got you buzzing.
Be sure to consume the Go Big Redcast responsibly. And until next time, stay hip and funky.